Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Hello and welcome to the Shoeless Goat Podcast. We're a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I am joined again for the second time in a week by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, this is the most baseball I've gotten in the last month and a half now, so I'm just ecstatic. It may not be actually on the field, but it is certainly in our hearts. So I'm, you know, I'm ready to rock and roll here. Definitely. Uh, If you tuned in to the last episode, we... We're continuing the first round of the Crosstown Centurion. We did the Cubs' top 16 teams and gave you all the results of the simulation. Today, we're going south, much like the the Goose Island geese do for the winter, to 35th and Shields, to go after the 16 best White Sox teams in their simulations. Pat will be leading the charge on that. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're probably aware of what the Crosstown Centurion is, but here's a refresher. We've amassed the, the best 16 Cubs teams of all time, the best 16 White Sox of, teams of all time, ran them in computer simulations against each other, and here are your results. So, Pat, any thoughts before we dig right into those those juicy, hot White Sox first-round results? Yeah, so something I do want to mention again, I mentioned it last episode, but because I love the designated hitter, I'm going to bring it up again. Um, for the White Sox side of the bracket, something to keep in mind is not only does home field flip uh, 2-3-2, uh, like a normal MLB playoff series, but if a team is around after the DH was implemented, is playing a team from before, DH rules go with those home fields. So, for example, our first matchup of the day is 1917 versus 2006. When 06 is at home, there's a DH. When 1917 is at home, there's no DH. So that's just... Uh, you know, a little wrinkle to keep in mind that I honestly did not think of until I had uh, started simulating. Yeah, really, it's interesting to see how the simulation will handle real baseball versus fake baseball. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those many questions we always have about the computers, how they're going to... Oh, wait, I just realized you got me there. <laughs> oh, that's tough. That is a tough scene, uh, to say the least. And I guess with that... Uh... God, that's gonna that's tough to recover from. So, I'm okay, saving we're ready this, to go. I'm, sa- I'm saving this recording forever, regardless. You know, <laughs> I'll play oh, it in your sleep. Uh, that's. I mean, we all know DH is real baseball. I'm really trying to recover here, but uh, ooh, that's tough. <laughs> anyway, would you like to? Uh, I bet you're gonna make up for it for the rest of this episode with with a ton of White Sox uh, dominance. Truly, uh, I I hope so. Oh man, I don't know how I'm gonna keep going, but. In any event, uh, here we go. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. First matchup of the day on the White Sox side of the bracket. We got the one seed, the big kahuna, the only 100-win team in franchise history, the 1917 precursor to the 1919 Black Sox. And playing them is the 2016, the second act to the 05 World Champions. Uh, not a playoff team, but re- uh, in the two wildcard era would have made it. So let's go ahead and get going. Game one uh, was a pretty convincing 1917 win, 3-0. Uh, Eddie Seacott threw a 96-pitch complete game two hitter uh, on the offense. Ray Schalk had two RBIs, and Buck Weaver had two hits. Uh, easy win. Game two, another win for 1917, 6-5. Uh, 2006 made it interesting. They scored four in the ninth, but couldn't quite finish off the comeback. 
one of the more surprising things from this game was Mark Burley getting lit up for four earned for four earned runs. Uh, Happy Felsch went three for four for nineteen seventeen, and Red Faber gave up five earned runs, but it was enough. Uh, game three, two thousand six, finally got going. They won three to two. Lefty Williams threw eight innings, had four walks, no strikeouts, and only two earned runs. Uh, but John Garland got the job done, five and two-thirds, two earned runs. And 2006 won at home on a walk-off, bases-loaded, wild pitch. So that's one hell of a way to end the end game. So going into game four, 1917 led the series two to one, and they got a convincing win to get back on track. A uh, 7-2 win for the 1917 team. Buck Weaver had two doubles. Joe Jackson finally got going with two hits. And they really got after Javier Vasquez, who only lasted five and two-thirds, giving up seven earned runs on 14 hits. So here we go. Game five, 1917, uh, three games to one. And I'm just going to go with the pitching lines here. First, for for 2006, Freddy Garcia, eight innings pitched, uh, three hits, no runs. Eddie Seacott, so this game went into 12 innings, 11 and one-third innings pitched. They just went to him the whole game. They rode their horse. They did not pull him out. Uh, interesting bullpen management there. 11 and one-third innings, seven hits, one run, no earned, a walk and a strikeout. But 2006 got the win. Uh, in the 12th, Jermaine Dye got on with an error. Canerco got a single, and Tomei walked it off on a single to score Jermaine Dye. So Eddie Seacott, despite pitching 11 and one-third innings of zero earned run ball, takes the loss, and that is where things start getting interesting. Game six, 2006 wins 4-3. to three. Creedy had two doubles and an RBI. Tadahito Iguchi had two hits, two RBIs. Burley got the job done this time, six and a third innings, pitched two earned runs. Red Faber was pretty good, but he gave up four earned in seven innings, so not quite good enough. And then all the marbles for game seven. This is at 1917's home field, so no DH. Uh, 2006 got off to a hot start with three in the first off a Creedy two-run double. A.J. Pierzynski followed that up with an RBI single. Uh, 1917 just couldn't get their offense going. They had five hits off of John Garland, who only gave up two earned runs in seven and a third. Joe Jackson fell apart and choked. 0 for 4. Did have an RBI, though, and Lefty Williams couldn't quite get it done. Seven innings pitched before earned runs. In 2006, won the game, won the series, uh, and 1917 blew a 3-1 lead in the series. 2006 wins in seven games. So one hell of a series to get us started. Nick, what are your thoughts? Well, one, just imagine pitching 11 in a third inning and only getting one strikeout. <laughs> I think yeah. that's the most insane thing I've seen, besides the fact that the 16 seed beat the 1 seed. Not only did they beat the 1 seed, but the 1 seed had a 3-1 lead in the series and got 11 and one third out of their starter in a would-be clinching game 5. It just absolutely bananas. Imagine pitching a contact for 12 innings. <laughs> Especially, I just have, Go ahead. No, I was going to say, the interesting thing about this one is he's pitching the contact against a team that hit the most home runs, second most home runs in franchise history, so... Interesting strategy. Yeah, and finally, one last question. How does it feel that who you consider to be the best White Sox team of all time, losing to a team that didn't make the playoffs? Okay, so how I feel about that is I will go to my grave. Well, we'll see. I'm not going to say that right now because there's a lot of life left to live. Um, But the 2006 team is the most talented White Sox team I have ever seen play in my 26 years, about 20 years of cognizant memory on this earth. And if there were two wild cards like there are today, they would have made the playoffs. So that's kind of like the 2015 team for your guys. So right back at you. Sounds good. All right, move on to Series 2. I I can't wait. Series 2, we have the 1906 World Series champion Hitless Wonders against the 1977, another non-playoff team, the Southside Hitmen. So a little uh, clash of ideals here, if you will. 
Well, 1906 got going right away. They won game one, seven to four. Uh, Francisco Barrios went seven and third, but gave up six earned runs. For 1906, Frank Owen went six. He gave up four earned runs, but their offense was able to get the job done up, surprisingly, for the Hitless Wonders. Billy Sullivan hit a home run, and Fielder Jones hit two doubles and two RBIs. Game two, 1906, won again. They tagged uh, current uh, color commentator for the White Sox, Steve Stone. He took the L six and two-thirds, three, earned no strikeouts. A 1977 offense just couldn't get going. For 1906, uh, Ed Hahn, I don't think he's related to Rick, had two RBIs on three hits, and Big Ed Walsh went seven innings with only one earned run. Uh, easy win for the 1906 team. Uh, game three, 1906, with another easy win. They took the game 11-4. to Jiggs Donahue had four hits and two RBIs leading the way on offense. <laughs> and Nick Eltrock got the uh, job done on the bump. Eight innings with three earned runs. 1977 just couldn't get much going. Oscar Gamble had three hits, um, but... Ultimately, just not enough. Uh, Game four, you kind of see where this series is going. 1906, got their brooms out, completed the sweep. It was a mess. They won the game 8-2. Fielder Jones had a triple and an RBI. Ed Hahn had three hits for 1906. I mean, they ran Ken Ken Kravick right off the field. He only lasted two-thirds of an inning to open the game with five earned. Uh, Berrios came back in, pitched eight innings of relief, and only gave up two earned runs, but the damage was done as Doc White threw a complete game uh, two-hitter for the 1906 team to win the series. So at least one of the World Series champions in the first two series is moving on. Yeah, just a thought. Steve Stone pitching the game. Do you think he was worried about his Twitter following when he was on the mound? And if so, do you think he mentioned his Twitter following to the 1906 team as intimidation to scare the shit out of him about what's about to come out in 100 years? That was probably it. He was probably still spooked about Jason Benetti having more followers, and he was probably still upset about people uh, being mad about not signing Manny Machado. So tough to win when you got those things going on in your head on the mound. Yeah, regardless, you're one of your World Series uh, winning teams moves on. So we will too. Also, I, I think when this is all said and done, we have to make an all-names team. Oh, yeah. And Jiggs Donahue has to be really close to the top of that, I think. That 1906 team, they had some names. They had Jiggs Donahue, Fielder Jones, Dummy Hoy was another guy. His name didn't come up too much, but they got some guys. Doc White, that's another good one. I'm waiting for Sad Sam Jones. <laughs> we'll see if he makes a, an appearance. A favorite of the pod, a man who's given the nickname Sad during the Great Depression. Anyway, let's get going. So third series of the day, we got the three seed, the 2005 White Sox, obviously uh, number one in my heart, against the 1964 team. Uh, this is an interesting matchup. The 1960s White Sox were always pretty solid, but they just ran into buzzsaws of Yankees teams. So start off this one, 1964 drew first blood. They won 2-0. Mark Burley pitched pretty good. He went six and two-thirds and gave up two earned runs, but their offense could not get going. Uh, Gary Peters led the way on the mound for 1964 with a complete game shutout with five strikeouts, which in this tournament apparently is a tremendous amount. Uh, Game two, 1964, won again, so they won two on the road. Uh, They won 3-1. Juan Pizarro went eight innings with eight strikeouts and one earned run. Hoyt Wilhelm came in and got the save. 0-5, again, they only got three hits, so that's ten hits and one run through two games. Only run was off a Canerco solo shot, so they just cannot get the bets going. Game three goes back home for 1964, and they take another win, 3-2. to two. Uh, Canerco had an RBI double to open the scoring. looked like, yeah, maybe they're gone. Not quite. Um, 1964 scored two in the eighth to, and then one on a walk-off double. Uh, John Garland pitched pretty good, but again, just not enough offense uh, to get past the 1964 team. 
Uh, game four, 2005, finally got one on the board. Uh, they won 6-5 to five in a nail-biter. Joe Creedy led the way with two home runs. Uh, Konerko had an RBI. Scott Pesednik had two RBIs. Pete Ward had a pretty good game for... Uh, 1964 he had a double and a home run but finally 2005 got their due unfortunately that would be the end of the run game 5 1964 wins 4-3 to three in 10 innings knocking off the second of three world series champions it was a pretty back and forth game Carl Everett had a home run for 05 in the 10th to take the lead um, but then in the bottom of the 10th Floyd Robinson had an RBI single he also had two RBIs in that game Gary Peters on the mound was incredible went nine and two thirds for some reason didn't finish the uh the 10 and incomplete game but only had three earned runs so two great games from him 1964 wins a shocking series in five games over the 05 champs so 05 goes down and i think i know why is they only lost one game in their actual 05 run yep. so once they went down two games to nothing you'd have to think they were spooked that was it yeah they didn't know how to handle losing i guess that's one of the things you, you win so many games you forget how to lose exactly all right series four if i'm not mistaken coming yep. up so Series 4, we got another interesting matchup. It's the 1919 Black Sox against the 13-seeded 1954 team, a few years before the Go-Go White Sox. Dead ball errors with the 1919 team, so you'd think low scoring, but nah, Game 1, 1954 wins 11-10. to 10. Just a complete slugfest that really didn't get going until the 8th. 1954 scored 6 in the top of the 8th, and 1919 followed that up with 5 runs of their own in the bottom of the 8th. Uh, just back-and-forth game, but ultimately Lefty Williams was able to outpitch Virgil Trucks. Um, neither was spectacular, but Lefty was a little bit better. Um, yeah, still, 1954 squeaked out the win. Game 2, 1919, uh, got one back before the series shifted away from them. Uh, Eddie Collins led the way with 3 hits. Uh, Eddie Seacott uh, threw a complete game, 10 hits, 2 earned runs. Pretty good game for him. The only bright spot for 1954 was Minnie Minoso going for 4 for 4. Uh, Bob Keegan was on the mound. He just was not quite good enough. Uh, game 3, another 1954 win, 5-0. Billy Pierce came in and shut down 1919. Six innings, five hits, no runs. Uh, Minnie Minosa added another four hits, and Jim Rivera had three RBIs and a home run uh, to lead the way on offense. Uh, game 4, 1954, won another convincing 1-10-2. They had th- uh, Minnie Minoso led the way with three hits and an RBI. Uh, Sherm Lawler had three RBIs, and Jack Harshman went five with an earned run, enough to shut him down. Uh, game five then, uh, 1954 clinched it, 5-1 victory. They scored four in the fifth to take a commanding lead. Minnie Minoso had three hits in that game, which brought him to 16 total hits in the five-game series. Whoever they were throwing out there, they were pitching a contact, and he was living for it. Uh, Virgil Trucks came in. He had eight and two-thirds of one-run ball. 1919, just they had no extra base hits. They couldn't get their offense going all series. Game five was no exception. Despite pretty good pitching, they lost 5-1 to lose the series in five games, possibly getting what they deserved as uh, as a team that threw the World Series. Yeah, I was. this was my dark horse pick, I think, to win it all because it was a team that like intentionally lost the World Series yeah. and still won a bunch of games. <laughs> so, they still like... won two games in the World Series they intentionally lost. Yeah, so I I saw them going farther. And also Minoso getting 16 hits in a five-game series. Okay. I thought Soriano getting eight hits in a five-game series was a lot. And Minoso says, hold, hold my beer. Yeah, he's, you know, often forgotten. Not a Hall of Famer is, you know, is a superstar. Just, but, uh, you know, maybe he's making a name for himself here. Maybe we can help get him in Cooperstown. I don't know. Very Nick Madrigal-esque if we, if we uh, play our cards right, right? Oh, yeah. Slappy is all hell. Love it. All right. Series five. <laughs> Series five. We have the oldest team on the White Sox side of the bracket. They don't date back to the 1880s, but they're from 1901, the first year of the American League. 
against the 1920 uh, follow-up to the Black Sox that still had most of the players back because that scandal did not break until the last week of the 1920 season. Anywho, game one, 1901, one, another just absolute dead ball era team wins 10 to six, uh, somehow scoring 10 runs. Red Faber gave went seven for 1920, but he gave up nine. Roy Patterson was better on the mound though, eight and two thirds, 12 hits, six earned. Uh, obviously not great, but it's better. Six is better than nine, uh, as I'm as the math people tell me. Uh, main reason for 1901 winning though, they stole six bases. They went six for seven on steals. Just Ray Schalk did not know what was going on. Just bad day behind the plate for him. Uh, in one of the more bizarre twists of the series, 1921 game two, 16. Uh, that's a one and a six to nothing. Uh, they got nine runs in the first inning, but Clark Griffith, the starter for 1901, still lasted five. Uh, for some reason, they kept him in five innings, 11 hits, 14 runs, with seven of those being earned. 1901 had five errors uh, total in the game, so just an ugly, ugly game. But like you know, I mentioned in the last episode, uh, they just decided Clark Griffith was going to wear this one. Uh, they did not want to go to the bullpen. Obviously, on the flip side of the coin, 1919 went off. Joe Jackson had three hits and a home run in the first. Lefty Williams, the pitcher, hit a triple, and he also uh, had a complete game shutout. So not much you can do there. Game three, 1901 got back in track. They won 6-3. to three. Uh, Fielder Jones went 2-2. Two for two. They got three steals as a team, continuing to run all over Ray Schalk. And Jack Catal went 7-2 and two thirds with three earned runs. Eddie Seacott was okay. He went eight but gave up six and just not enough offense from 1920. Game four, 1901 takes a commanding 3-1 series lead with a 2-1 win. Dummy Hoy had an RBI triple, and Nixie Callahan pitched a complete game. Only six hits, two walks, no strikeouts. 1920, uh, not much offense. Joe Jackson went over four. He has been a just resounding disappointment in this series. And then game five, 1901 does it. They seal the series with a complete game, uh, two earned runs from Roy Patterson. Um, yeah, Happy Felsch uh, played pretty well for 1920, hit a double and a triple, but they couldn't piece together a consistent offensive game. Uh, Red Faber took the L in a good game in 1901. Uh, the 1901 AL champs, who did not get a chance to play for the World Series because the stuck-up National Leaguers didn't think they were worthy, they move on. They might have been right. Only history will tell. My question is, is this so Joe Jackson's completely out at this point, or is there any Joe Jackson teams left? Uh, let me look down the bracket. No, no, he's done. That Like, all three of his teams, he just choked. Dang. See, I was hoping slightly for the 1945 Cubs, the GOAT team, versus you know, the that Shoeless Joe team. You know, that would have been just on brand, but this also proves that we're not cheating and making these all up. No. Because that would have been. That's like the Yankees-Dodgers World Series and not the, you know, Brewers-Angels World Series that we'll probably end up with. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, like Joe Jackson, like I said, I think it was 1920. He had like an 11-war season or something like that, and he just did not show up. So that's obviously disappointing. Maybe somebody was paying him off. We might need to look into that. I don't know. Uh, He's done it once before, so I guess criminals, (laughs) maybe they don't change. What if the simulation had that option of like, oh, maybe they're throwing it? Like, intangible, man. If 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 Kyle Hendricks is getting pulled after seventy pitches, anything's possible. Honestly, I think they might be too accurate. Yeah, it's honestly though. I do think after this, Eddie Seacott's probably about ready to kill Joe Jackson. Dude throws over eleven innings in a game and can't get a win. But uh, onward we march. Uh, sixth series of the first round for the White Sox. This was the Go Go White Sox, the AL champs, nineteen fifty nine team against the team that might have been AL champs, might have been World Series champs if Jerry Reinsdorf didn't ring lead a strike to end the season, the 1994 team. Uh, game one was a resounding win for 1994. Uh, 
four to one. Jack McDowell, uh, blackjack, went seven innings pitched with an earned run. Uh, Joey Cora got them enough offense with two RBIs, and 1959 couldn't get going. So that was about it. Uh, game two, Frank Thomas finally got going in a loss, though. They did lose 8-6 to in 1959, though. Big Frank hit a triple and two RBIs, uh, but Wilson Alvarez was not good enough on the mound. Luis Aparicio had two steals, which brought him to four in the series, and Billy Pierce went eight with three earned for the win. Uh, game three, another 1959 win, 9-2. Uh, Aparicio had three hits and a steal, so he's just running like crazy. Al Smith hit a two-run homer for 1959. Uh, for 1994, Frank Thomas hit two home runs, but that was the only offense. Their pitching got tagged. Nothing doing. Game four, 1959 wins again, 5-3 to three to take a 3-1 series lead. Uh, Aparicio with another steal, bringing him to six. Uh, Bob Shaw had a strong game with Jerry Staley and Turk Lone coming in in relief to shut down 1994. Uh, only offense was a three-run Darren Jackson home run. Uh, so down 3-1, 1994 stormed back to win game five. Frank Thomas hit two more home runs with four RBIs to go along with Je- uh, Jack McDowell's two-run complete game. Uh, they took game four, too. Game six, 1994 wins again. Uh, They won seven to four. Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura uh, each hit a home run. That brought Frank's uh, total to five for the series. Robin had four hits. Uh, Just not enough offense from 1959 to keep up. So then there we went to game seven. Jason Beer versus Bob Shaw. Good pitching matchup, but ultimately 1994 took the series five to two. Robin Ventura with another big game. Two hits, two RBIs. Frank only with one RBI, but it was enough. They took the series home, seven games. The strike shortened team is finally getting their shot, and they're moving on to the Sweet 16. How did Michael Jordan do it? Uh, the Birmingham counterparts played it. Uh, they did okay. Okay, that's all I'm asking, you know, because that's last dance on the mind. I figured I'd just, you know, <laughs> how Jordan was doing. Do you think he actually would have made the majors batting 200? I, I, they kept saying that in the documentary, like, oh, he would have made the majors. I was like, bullshit, he would have made the majors. No one's coming up with 200. Here's my thing. We see about how competitive Michael Jordan is, and that's all they, like, that's what they keep saying. Like, yes, maybe he could have pushed himself, but I think more likely he would have, if he played another year or two, he would have just gotten so pissed off at only batting, like, 200, 250 that he would have quit. I mean, that's my thing. Basketball, you can go off and score 40. Baseball, even if he's dominating, he's only he's striking out, like, what, four times out of ten? So, I don't know. I don't see it. Yeah, uh, we could go further, but it's a baseball podcast. We'll keep it at baseball. We got a seven, Series 7 now, a pretty yep. fun one. As Here we are sticking to our sports here. Uh, series 7, 7 seed, <laughs> 1983, versus the 10 seed, the 2008 Wild Card Champs. Uh, get, so... <laughs> I'll talk about the symbolism in a little bit, but just listen to what I'm saying in the scores here. Game one, 2008 beats 1983, 8-3. Offensive explosion for 08. Uh, Carlos Quentin had two hits. AJ had two RBIs. Uh, Burley went eight with only two earned runs. And Lamar Hoyt got drilled for uh, 1983. Eight earned and four and a third. Just not much going for 1983. Game two, 1983 wins the game, 8-3. Uh, they got five in the third, uh, led by a Greg Luzinski home run and three RBIs. Carlson Fisk added two hits. Uh, good game on the mound from Richard Dotson. 08, on the other hand, the only thing they really got was a home run from Ken Griffey, surprisingly enough. And their ace, John Danks, got chased out of the game with six earned. Game three, 2008, won 8-5, taking a 2-1 series lead. Ron Kittle finally got going with a home run and two RBIs, but it was not enough. Harold Baines did not has not played well to this point. 2008 was able to, you know, make their mark with 
uh, two Canerco doubles and Alexi Ramirez home run, and Gavin Floyd was just better than Floyd Bannister. So game four, 1983, wins 8-3. to Their second 8-3 to victory in the series, a uh, beautiful symbolism there. Uh, Tom Pashorek and Harold Baines each had home runs to lead the way behind a strong uh, Britt Burns start. Oh, wait, just not much going on, a die home run, that's about it. Uh, game five, 2008, 1-10-5. Lamar Hoyt struggled again, which was surprising, and the 83 offense was good, but not good enough. On the other side of the field, 08, uh, just absolute explosion. Uh, Tomei, Canerco, Alexi, and Joe Creedy all hit home runs, and Mark Burley was good enough with six strong innings. Uh, game 6, 2008 won, taking the series four games to two. They won that game 7-3. Jermaine Dye had three hits and an RBI. Canerco had another two RBIs. John Danks finally got going, no earned runs in eight innings, and just, you know, like the rest of the series, 83, just could not get the offense going. Richard Dotson struggled, and that was all she wrote. Uh, the 2008 team is moving on. Yeah, so only one of those games did not feature an 8 or a 3, if not an 8 to 3 score, which leads me to right. believe that the Illuminati could somehow be behind these results. They're communicating to us through the simulation. Hey, who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. I, hopefully these teams don't catch wind of that, or that series might be under protest. Definitely. Okay, and finally, series number eight. Yep. So the last one on the board for the White Sox is the eight seed 2000. The kids can play against the nine seed 1993 team. Uh, game one, 1993, one uh, easy win, 10-2. to two. Frank Thomas hit a home run, and George Bell hit two bombs. Uh, Alex Fernandez pitched a two-run complete game, and Jim Park got destroyed, six earned in two-thirds of an inning. Game two, 2000, flipped the script, 7-1 win. Uh, getting after Blackjack McDowell. He gave up six earned in four and a third. Uh, for 2000, Maglio hit two homers. Carlos Lee El Caballo hit two RBIs. And Mike Soraka pitched a gem, one earned run in a complete game. Uh, another lopsided game, game three, 1993, 112-3, just a back and forth in the weirdest possible way series. Uh, Frank Thomas, Tim Raines, George Bell all hit home runs. And on the other side of the field, Frank Thomas also hit a home run in his 2000 self, but nothing else got going for that team. Uh, game four, 1993, took another win, 5-1. to one. Frank hit a home run and two RBIs for 1993. For 2000, they only hit three hits, just no offense. Pitching was good, but not good enough. Game five, 2001, another lopsided game in a very just weird back-and-forth blowout series where it seems like whoever's losing just kind of packs it in and moves on to the next one. Uh, that 2000 Frank Thomas, and I know this is getting confusing, hit two home runs. Uh, Jim Park got the job done, one earned in five and a third before the bullpen took over. And on the 1993 side, Frank Thomas hit a home run. So a lot of Frank on Frank crime going on there. So we move on to game six, 1993 won that one to take the series. They won that game five to three. Okay, here we go again. Frank Thomas hit a home run in this one, two added two doubles. Uh, 2,000 offense just couldn't get enough done. They had extra base hits from Frank and Canerico. Soraka pitched well enough to win eight innings, three in, but just wasn't good enough. Uh, 1993 wins the series four games to two in six. And more importantly, Frank Thomas of 1993 uh, wins the home run battle, edging the 2,000 version of Frank Thomas five to three in that category. So if you think we're confused by Frank Thomas playing on both sides, I could only imagine the fans in the stands. (laughs) This just got to be like, what the... People are just like, the sports writers, they don't know what to do. Yeah, they. I think they need to call one of them Frankie or something like that, or Francis. It's like one of those classic crime movies where it's like, ask me a question only I would know. It's like, I'm the real Frank. No, he's the he's the imposter. Give me the formioli. Ravioli, ravioli. 
<laughs> All right. So that was fantastic. Um, those are the White Sox results for the first round. Uh, my favorite thing of it was seeing all the teams that I thought pretty much every series I thought was the winner of lost. So I think my bracketology, if I was filling out this bracket would have been busted at least on the one side for the white Sox almost immediately. So shows how much I know about baseball. Yeah. 1917, I thought was going to have an easy time at it. They just did not. Uh, That 1917 team had an 11 war uh, Eddie Seacott. It's not good enough. A lot of upsets in this one, which I think, you know, me rationalizing it after the fact is that a lot of those 50s and 60s White Sox teams were really damn good, but they were just stuck behind better Yankees teams. So maybe they're finally getting their crack at it here. Sounds like it. Okay, who were the MVP candidates uh, on your end? Yeah, so I talked about a couple of them already. Obviously, we had Minnie Minoso up there, 16 hits in five games, which is just stupid. That's like uh, me playing my my career mode on easy, and I'm just like tearing apart the other team's pitching. You had Gary Peters for 1964. He had two starts, went 2-0, 18 and two-thirds, three earned runs, 10 strikeouts, and a complete game. Eddie Seacott in a losing effort for 1917. Two starts, went 1-1, one one, which is honestly just a crime against humanity. Uh, two complete games with 20 and a third innings pitched, no earned runs, five strikeouts, and nine hits in 20 innings. Uh, so that's it's tough to pitch much better than that. I guess that's why he had 11 war that year. And then the last MVP candidate, I had to decide here uh, between two Frank Thomases. The one in 1993 hit five homers in six games, and the one in 94 hit five homers in seven games. So between the two MVP Franks in the tournament, I'm going with 93. Uh, just one less game to hit the same number of home runs. So some pretty strong performances there. Yeah, and these will be on a Twitter poll, so you can vote on who you think is the White Sox MVP of the first round. This was great, Pat. Uh, Thank you for putting in this effort. The effort will not stop, though. Uh, We will be continuing to sim these games out. Uh, We will be giving you the results via the Shoeless Go podcast. We will keep you informed on when the next episodes will be released. And as a treat, as we discussed earlier, the finals will be a live simulation on Twitch. So you can see how we make the sausage, essentially. Um, but in any case, what do you think of the first round as a whole, Pat? My brain's in a pretzel. Uh, I had, you know, tried to piece together a bracket, on, especially on the White Sox side. I mean, on the Cubs side, 2016 won. That was expected. My 1885 boys won. That was good. White Sox side, it's chaos. Everything's all over the place. 1917's done. 2005's done. Uh, just it's... It's surprising, but, you know, I guess that's why we're doing it. It's for these exciting what-ifs, not just, well, this team had a better record than they win. So, overall, I'm here. I'm along for the ride. It's some semblance of sports. I'll take it. Yes, buckle up. So you can listen to this podcast, if you don't already know, on SantChicago.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Leave us comments. Who do you think is going to win? I mean, we're all for predictions. We've been predicting this whole time. We'd love to hear from you. In any case, thank you for tuning in. And remember, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. He's not even in this bracket. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go baseball. Have a good day. Oh!
Chicago Well, what I want is to Six and two is eight Come on, baby, don't you make me 